The Institute of Directors professional development programmes equip learners with the knowledge, skills and mindset to be enterprising and innovative, enabling organisations to become more productive and competitive. The IOD's programmes ensure directors develop an awareness of their interpersonal skills, legal and business knowledge, financial acumen, ethical questioning, decision-making abilities and the highest standards of professional conduct. The IOD is the only institute in the world to offer internationally recognised qualifications designed by directors for directors under Royal Charter. For more information on IOD training, visit iod.com today. Welcome to the Institute of Directors Business Podcast, a podcast where we interview directors from all over Scotland about their careers and business. I am your host, Marlene Lowe, UK Director for Four Bytes and long-term IOD member. This week, we speak with Ian Miller. He's a businessman and an MBE. Ian is quite literally an international executive, specialising in redefining business strategy and focus on driving performance improvements. He's got a proven track record in major corporations, including EDS and HP, and in generating new growth in stagnant divisions and transforming profitability. Really hope you enjoy today's episode. I am a Scottish Chartered Accountant. I studied in Dundee, I did it the old-fashioned way with a five-year apprenticeship as an apprentice Chartered Accountant. I think that's coming back into fashion now, isn't it? Yeah. And I studied with Moody Stewart and Robertson, which is eventually I think became part of KP, KPMG. I'm not sure where it is now, but what, what was part of KPMG. Um, so I did that for five years. I did not want to stay in a profession, so I went to be the company accountant for Dundee Express in Belfield Street. But it's part of the huge transport development group. Really good educational experience. Did that for about a year, I think. And unfortunately, the managing director with whom I got on really well died. And I just seemed, at the same time, I got an approach to, uh, to, 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 to go and join uh, another, another company. Went to Ross and Hilliard in Dundee, which medical instruments and so on. And was there for about two years, and then I got an approach to go to Kutu Garbage Holdings, you know, garbage paper company and the, the group. And that was probably the formative part of my career, I think. I was in the right place at the right time, so I went very quickly from being financial accountant in one of the subsidiaries through to being the group financial controller wow. in about three years flat. I looked at my, my boss, who's a finance director, and realized he was 45, and he probably wouldn't be moving anytime soon. <laughs> so... <laughs> Um, also, I was involved at that time in um, M&A work. Mm-hmm. Kudigar Bridge was developing in, it was diversifying out of just paper trade, and we were buying and selling companies, and it was a really interesting period to be in, in finance. And that put me in the mood of um, you know, general management rather than strategic management rather than just accountancy. So I, I left and joined PA. And mm-hmm. I was in PA Consulting Group for 14 years. Um, First assignment was in Stavanger, and I hadn't heard of Stavanger at that time, and I thought it sounded like someplace up on the up on the west coast of England, northwest coast of England. <laughs> and not until I, did I hear that I had needed a work permit, did I actually think to look to look it up properly and find out where it was. Um, so it's been for 14 years, almost all of it that, apart from a couple of times local government, in, uh, in the energy sector. Mm-hmm. And I worked on really, really interesting projects. And I worked in Norway, Abu Dhabi, 
the United States, Peru did a, wow. a reorganization for Occidental in, uh, in Peru. Um, I was out in Australia, uh, Africa. I spent, I spent three years, uh, five, five weeks there, three weeks back uh, in, in Nigeria with nice. side trips to uh, Cameroon uh, as well. So really formative. And then I had moved, I did organization strategy work, really always interested in economics and macroeconomics and you know, in practical, practical economics. So I led a, a two-year project for ENI, the State Oil Company of Italy, changing completely the way in which they did long-range strategic planning and moving from a three-year planning cycle out to 15-year planning cycle, scenario planning, econometric analysis, and, and so on. Really interesting project. We had a team of about 30 on that. So it was probably one of the biggest projects, certainly one of the biggest strategy projects PA had run, had run. So I was a global practice head for energy, which was interesting and, um, you know, and really, really enjoyable. But I was getting kind of bored and I got an approach to ask her to go and join, uh, to go and join EDS, Electronic Data Systems, the company that Ross Perot started. It was huge. It was 126,000 people, 24 billion a year in, uh, in revenue. And, uh, and I pointed out I knew nothing about computing. And they said, well, we've got... 125,999 people who are experts in computing. We don't have anyone actually knows and understands the energy sector and yeah. what drives that. So we went there. Um, sorry, this is getting long, but no, I, keep going. I love it. They, they, they had EDS had bought Sicon, the, the IT arm of of BP, and mm -hmm. it, it just had never worked properly. That deal never worked. So I got that sorted out fairly quickly, and within about a year, we got the thing back on back on track, and you know. Profitable, it was a lot, a lot, lot better. Um, and I got asked to do the same across Europe. So I did that. I put the European change plan into motion and did that for about six months. And on Christmas Eve, um, I can't remember exactly the year, Christmas Eve, I was in Aberdeen office, PA, PA, um, sorry, EDS Aberdeen office, and I got a phone call from my boss's boss saying that they were going to have a reorganization mm -hmm. and we're going to make energy a global sector, a global PL. And um, I thought I'd just been told I got a new boss. And I said, we, we want you to come and run it. <laughs> and he said, <laughs> he said Ian, before you ask, you can't do it from Scotland. Oh, no. <laughs> uh, yeah, I was living in Dundee and just commuting down to, um, you know, Milton Keynes with the energy, as it was in the UK. So yeah. um, on Boxing Day, my entire family, my wife and I and our three children were all on, the, on a plane to Dallas on Boxing Day, two days Excellent. later. <laughs> and you know, we were looking for schools, housing, and and, and, and everything else. So um, I was there for five years, and wow. I got promoted to up to uh, man I was on the management board of EDS. So that mm -hmm. was really, really. It was interesting. I loved it. I loved it. Um, but finally, I thought I wanted to come back to UK. So I got an approach to go and take over as chief executive parity. So I did that for a for a, th a three year project mm -hmm. as a, a turnaround and managed to get back into profit and back into back into growth and I had a got no subscribed rights issue away which wasn't easy in the IT sector at that time um and then where did I go from there oh I went from there to, to Hewlett Packard <laughs> <laughs> and I worked with somebody who worked with an EDS and he, and, he, and he said I met I met when I was back across in Dallas and he and he said um you should come and join HP and he yeah. ran all of all of HP services and I said to do what John he said, I don't know, but I've got lots of problems. <laughs> <laughs> got lots of problems and you're good at fixing problems. So, you know, I joined HP and was there for about, I think, three years and 
Nishpudin to solve big contract issues where we're losing lots of money and see if we can get some value out of an acquisition that had gone gone wrong. So I did that and then ran systems development integration and consulting across across EMEA. Then the same guy left and went to went to Keen, approached by Citigroup. Citigroup bought Keen. And he phoned me. Originally, I got involved because he asked me if I'd give a reference to the chairman. And I did. Great, great guy. John unfortunately died last year of a brain tumor, but great guy. And he said, um, John phoned me up and said, Thank, thanks. He said, the feedback from your reference is great. Um, but would you, if I join, would you come and run EMEA? And it was, a, again, it was a classic turnaround. Um, and the deal was, it was owned by Citigroup, been bought by, taken private by City Venture Capital Link, and it was the usual story about get it turned around and then sell it, and then you know make some money on the on, on stock options. So I did that and I loved it, absolutely yeah. loved it. Great fun, great team. Um, we made a lot of progress, and then I was involved in the sales process back and forth in New York. I think every second weekend for <laughs> for a month as part of the sales process, and then it was bought by NTT Data of Japan. Um, I did the strategy for EMEA, took that out to, to Tokyo, um, was then asked, as flattered, we asked to go back and present to the corporate planning team on how, how you do long-range strategic planning in a, in a global environment. Wow. Um, and for, I, oh yeah, I, I just find the Japanese style of management too slow. <laughs> <laughs> we're, we're making losses in one of the European countries and I, I wanted to, Hack it back. They even agreed that with the, with the unions and so on. And then the, the Japanese management in Tokyo were too too reluctant, and mm. I was, you know got fed up. Actually, I got fed up and frustrated, and then I left. And yeah. since then, I've been doing consulting. I've done some really interesting. I've just finished a valuation of a training company mm-hmm. to bring in new bring in new shareholders, and I started doing non exec work. And I'm, wow. I'm on three I'm on three boards. Yeah. Uh, area. I spend a day a week on each. Um, it, it and and I love it. So I still do consulting. What an illustrious career. That that's quite a progression, quite a journey that you've been through. Yeah, I think, you know, I had one funny experience, which was somebody that I'd worked with in PA, who in fact was my first supervisor, um, came out to came out to Dallas and came to EDS headquarters, which were spectacular, as you all know what to do to describe to describe it. And he my my PA said, um, Donald's here. Will I go and get Donald? And I said, no. I said, he was my first supervisor. I'll go and get him. So <laughs> I went to that reception and walked back. And Donald was just staring around him in amazement at this incredible corporate headquarters. And we yeah. got up to got in my office suite and he stood in the door and he laughed. And he said, <laughs> how did a wee accountant from Money Feath, <laughs> well, not that wee, but how, how, how did a simple accountant from Money, from, from Money Feath <laughs> get, get, get here? <laughs> and I suppose that then the kind of magnitude magnitude done, but yeah, yeah it's, just, it's just I think see the opportunity and go for it. Yeah, certainly sounds like you've grabbed life by the horns, if you will, and and taken every opportunity that's come your way. Yeah, I mean, I you know I've had regrets. I think you know thinking thinking that um, the entire family wanted to come back. The family said, kind of, we've we, we'd like to go back now. Mm. Um, and then we came back, came back in April, but I accepted the job in, in Parity. And, um, yeah, I think part of that was everyone wants to be the CEO of a public company because you think you've got all the power. You don't. Yeah. You don't. You've got a board. You've got a shareholder. <laughs> you, you haven't got, you know, it's illusory. You think yeah. you're running everything and, and you're actually, you know, you need a board behind you 
Um, and I had another Scot, Bill Coburn, as the as a chairman. Bill was ex CEO of BT, joint CEO of BT, and of Royal Mail. Great, great chairman. Mm. Superb. We got more value. <laughs> Bill phoning me up and saying, yeah, "I'm in the city. Do you want to go for a beer?" <laughs> you know, after after work. Then we ever got out of board meetings. It was it was great fun. Yeah, I thought. You know, we, we came back to the UK, to, to, to London um, at, at Easter and we'd left Dallas was brilliant sunshine and, you know, <laughs> the Easter yeah. thing in Dallas. We got here and it was snowing and it was miserable. And my youngest was still at school and didn't, didn't like the schools. You know, she was 12, 13, I think. So anyway, at, at the end of the week, I got back from work and found was sitting in the, um, you know, in the hotel room and they said... Um, Dad, let, let's explain things. Um, so we're not coming back. <laughs> we're not coming back. And the daughter said, "I'm going to I'm going to board at school, the school that she's been at, you know, yeah. for the last five years. Took boarders. So, so she said, uh, "I'm going to board." Um, and Jill said, "I'm not going to move back to UK. She just just moved out uh, <laughs> after university." Um, and my wife said, "And uh, I'll just spend half a time in Dallas and half my time in." Um, in, in, in the UK. <laughs> <laughs> so Dallas really made an impression on your family then. Yeah, we, we've never sold a house there. Yeah. We, we like it. We, we've got really good friends there and we, you know, and we like it. And I got to go back on business kind of reasonably often. Yeah. So, um, yeah, probably four or five times a year. So, yeah, we like, we, we do like Dallas. <laughs> so what is it? Because the as far as I'm aware, I've got a few friends there. Um, the culture there is quite different to the culture in the UK. So what is it about Dallas that captured you and your whole family? It's a very easy place to live. Mm. You know, and, the, and it, everything just works. And yeah. so, you know, so you've got a plumbing problem. <laughs> and I, I'm from a Highland Park handyman and he says... Um, if it's really urgent, I'll come round and I'll, I'll put a stop to it now and I'll come back and fix it on Tuesday. And, and he turns up on Tuesday. And, yeah. and, and everything just seems to work. The service, service culture is phenomenal. People yeah. are genuinely friendly and helpful. Mm -hmm. We haven't been able to get out there for six months and our next door neighbour has got a key and she's going in and checking that you know, everything's working and you know, we don't have a flood and, 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 this, and this sort of thing. Yeah. Um, it's just really, and I, I like to work in culture. Working mm -hmm. culture is, I'm not sure... I think they work very long hours, mm. and I think the holidays are absolute rubbish. So I never signed up to a local contract. I was always next <laughs> next got my got a contract. But I I don't know whether it's a bit about the, the higher fire culture and maybe the negative is people don't really feel secure in their jobs. Yeah, but they work hard. They work, the, they work hard. You've worked with lots of different cultures, lots of different ways that people enjoy working looking at what you said about Japan, obviously you've got the UK, Africa. Is there one way that is your favorite or are there commonalities that you find work? I, I think I enjoy the variety. It was certainly completely different cultures. I, my, my first time in the PA was in, uh, was in Norway, was in Stavanger. Yeah. And I, my initial reaction was Norwegians are lazy. Honestly, <laughs> I, that was my initial reaction, and it nobody got in before before eight o'clock. Yeah. And I used to joke that at four o'clock, you know, nobody needs to check 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 the watch. So it's almost as if like somebody punches the fire alarm. Yeah. Because the exit's at four o'clock, and then I thought about it, and I thought, but they get through a lot of work. 
Mm. They get through, you know, I knew the things that I was working on, I knew that I wasn't getting delayed by them. And I realized how efficient it is. Yeah. They, they, they work completely. They mm. tend not to stop for things like tea breaks or coffee breaks. We don't stop and have a cup of coffee with you if there's, you know, a, a meeting. Lunch is 11.30 yeah. to 12 o'clock. And, you know, or 12, you know, 12, 12, 30. So they, they eat early and it's the same, same eating, evening meal. But they get through a power of work. Mm. In, in that time. So I, I came to the conclusion that they've got the work-life balance better. And I think they're really productive. They're very well organized, very well yeah. disciplined. I think they work very steadily. I, I do. Um, and then when you see them all flooding out, okay, so it was summer when I was there, you see them all flooding out of the office at, at four o'clock. And the families where we're working, the, um, there was a, a, a dock right, right beside us, or a, 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 a marina. And the, uh, the, the energy company I was working with had, uh, had three or four boats. Mm. And Norwegians are big into boats anyway. So they would come down, the families would come down to, you know, to, the, to, to, the, to the dock side, and then they'd go out in the boat. And they'd catch the fish, and then they would <laughs> take, take the fish oh. over, and they would eat it. <laughs> I just thought, you know, I just thought that this is actually a really effective working style. Yeah. And I like working in the States. I, I like the can-do. Mm. I really like the, 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 the can-do attitude. I used to try the, e, the culture in EDS as, um, you know, it was Bush that was president at the time. You know, if, if, if Bush phoned up the chairman of EDS and said, I got a small problem called Iraq and I'd like to outsource it, you'd get a team together all over the weekend and by Monday morning they'd, they'd, they'd have a fully detailed and cost proposal showing exactly how you were going to solve his Iraq problem. It yeah. was... <laughs> I just love it. I love I love the big bets. I love the I love the big deals. And I got involved in a number of big deals. You know, we signed Chevron. Mm. And Chevron was over five hundred million, mm. and over, over five years. And we just had a succession. And I think I was in the right place at the right time. I had a run, a run of luck, and energy got moved from having not made money for years through to being in the top three strategic business units across the, across the whole EDS globe for revenue growth margin and return on capital employed. Mm. So, you know, we, it, and then I, I like the, the instant reward culture. We had spot bonuses. So if somebody did something that was really memorable, mm. then at the end of the month, they got paid fortnightly in the States, but yeah. kind of within two, two pay packets, they'd get a bonus in their, in their pay packet yeah. when they could remember what they'd done to, 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 to earn it. So mm. I like the... Yeah, I, I like I like the big deal culture. I like the never say no. You know, we we, we lost a contract, and we left it for for three months. Went back just when we knew that relations were probably at their worst. Yeah, <laughs> and went in with a completely unrequested proposal, and and we took the took work off them. Wow, <laughs> I love I love it. Sorry. Is there so, a culture that you found particularly difficult to work within? Yeah, I think I think they're all different. I mean, I love working in France and Italy, but but they they are all different. I think it's a variety that makes it so so attractive. In Italy, so in the in the US, then call it the way it is. You know, yeah. don't don't be a better bitch. Just just call it the way it is, and you and you get it. You've got to be polite, obviously. Yeah. And empathetic, so you need to make it clear that you understand the difficulties that the other side are under. But you call it the way it is. In Italy, if you do that, that's very bad manners. Okay. But, when you walk into the room, everybody knows where you're probably going to end up. But mm. unless you've gone through the, the discussion and the consideration and thinking, you know, listening to the other person's point of view and listening to their concerns, listening to their suggestions, until you go all through that, even if 
even if you think the answer is obvious, mm. you're not going to get it done. You're not going to get yeah. a degree. You've got to go through the process of listening, consulting, thinking, chin stroking, you know, break for lunch, come back and, you know, and then go through the agony of, uh, and then, and then every ends up happy and you've got to deal that everybody's happy with. And you mm. try and cut through that, you're wasting your time. French and things. No, I just love it. I love the variety of cultures. The, but the frustrations in it. In the Japanese culture, I genuinely appreciate it in terms of the long-term strategic strategic view. Their yeah. willingness to, to live with a business that's not making money, <laughs> that isn't going to make money unless you do something radical. <laughs> the, the agonizing over, over tough decisions, I, I find frustrating. Yeah. Uh, you know, I can live in Italian style, which you need to discuss this and think about it. It's going to take a lot longer than if you, you know, if you're in a US culture or, or, yeah. or, or a UK culture. Um, but eventually, just not facing up to the problem, mm. I think, frustrates frustrates yeah. me. It, it, it just does. So I want to divert a little bit and go back to that transition where. Did you always want to work within the energy sector? Is that something you knew from an early age? Or what, when did that decision kind of come in? Or was it just by chance? It was just by sheer chance. Yeah. It was just by sheer chance. So I went to Garbage Holdings, the, you know, the paper-based company. But it, it is a company called Servoil. So it was really, if you think about it, this is a time where getting into you know, Scottish industry, committing to the oil and gas, you know, to support oil and gas, it was controversial. You know, yeah. Andy Docks lost out hugely because they stuck with, we're not wanting to interfere with our jute trade. Well, you know, in five years' time, the jute trade had, had dried up completely and there was no jute trade. But they, they refused to countenance doing oil and gas support work because it would upset the traditional, traditional industries. And they really, 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 really lost, lost out on it. So I think Kidding Average were really innovative in thinking about setting up Servoil. They set up Servoil. And that was my first foray into the energy sector. Yeah. And yeah. So I, I, knew, I knew something about it. And then when I went and joined PA, I did a three weeks basic training at the Sundays Park Training Center at, at, the, at that time. And my first assignment was in the oil and gas sector. It was for uh, ELF, the French oil company that was later bought by, by, by Total. So you know, I just I lucked into it. Yeah, and then you know, you know what it's like. It, it's not it's not hard to become an expert in something. You know, if, if you if you apply yourself to something and, and you're interested in economics, um, and I read the book The Prize by Daniel Yergin, and I later met Dan, and Dan became <laughs> you know, became a good friend for for, for years. But that's just like the history of the oil and gas industry, the link with politics. It has everything. Mm. You know, if you're interested in kind of macroeconomics, it's got everything is there: intrigue, war, you know, politics. The whole, the whole <laughs> I might even pick up that one now. <laughs> yeah, you should have a look. Yeah, so the prize is about yay thick, but yeah. honestly, <laughs> it's incredibly readable. Yeah, it's incredible. And Dan won the Pulitzer Prize for that book. Yeah. And it's good. It's, it's, wow. it's, re it's really interesting. <laughs> and did you, okay, so if we look at, go back to career progression and where mm. you are now being a non-exec, did you, did you always feel like you were going in that or again does it come down to luck and and where things went or did you always want to kind of get to that level within business i didn't i, I didn't think about it until mm. um i got approached to go on the, the, the board of kbc which has been acquired by now by, by by a bigger company but it was a public company and it was just somebody or someone i knew from eds phoned me up and said 
um, are you interested in a non-exec position? And I, I cleared it with the, with the board. Yeah. Um, I was working full time, obviously, at that time. Got to the board, and I went to the meetings, and I, and I liked it. I liked the company, I liked the people, and, and, I, and I joined KBC. And I was on the board for the full 10 years, yeah, kind of public company. Initially, as a chairman of the finance committee, mm. finance and audit committee, and then as the, and then as the chairman. And I just, I just really enjoyed it. And I think it's completely different to being in a line management role. And if you don't understand that, you shouldn't be non-exec. You know, yeah. you are not a non, you're, you're a non-exec, you're not an exec. You offer guidance and advice. Mm -hmm. If your guidance and advice isn't accepted and you feel so strongly about it, then you resign. That, that's it. You know, you, you, you don't start browbeating your way through meetings and, and insisting. Just you, you use logic. Yeah. Um, and I've never been pushed in a position where I thought I should resign. I've always felt, I've never, yeah, I've, I've never though had a huge ethical dilemma. Mm. Never. So, I mean, there have been ethical problems. You know, there have been genuine problems um, with an ethical context, but the board has always done the right thing. Mm. You know, including we had a fraud in, a fraud in parity. Um, very, very, well, technically, and the Scottish towns would be embezzlement, but fraud by misrepresentation, fraud by abuse of position in, uh, in a Dutch subsidiary. Mm. And, you know, that was a really, really tough one. Um, but the board, everybody on the board wanted to do, to do the right thing. There was never any doubt that we should prosecute and, you know, we should report to the police, we should prosecute, we should take, take firm action. In fact, we came to the conclusion that uh, we should shut the Dutch subsidiary. So we shut it down. Yeah. Because you know, the problem with dishonesty is you don't know how deep it runs. Yeah, that's very... And you look at something and, something and think, did they, did they not suspect? Yeah, mm -hmm. did, they, did they not think this looked, looked odd and nobody blew the, blew the whistle? So... Yeah, so I, I think it is completely different. Enjoy it. It's a bit like, I like the variety, and I think that comes from doing consulting. And, yeah. you know, this morning I'm working on, on one thing. This afternoon I've got a meeting on something completely different. <laughs> and you know, your brain and go on something else. I, I think I think it's really productive. Yeah. I, I like but it. Variety is good, isn't it? It's like I said, it keeps you entertained. It keeps you thinking about different angles and really highlights how important it is to have multiple disciplines talking to each other because you never know when someone when something is normal in one industry but can be revolutionary in another and you can only have that by yeah. variety and discussion yeah exactly and I, i'm i'm lucky i'm on the, the, the board of three companies that operate in completely different sectors and yeah. you know and, and i think i think that's good i think the other thing though is the disciplines I learned in PA have stood me through every single job I've been in. Yeah. The discipline of um, understanding exactly what you're looking at, get, getting the data you need to make to make the right decisions, uh, is cutting through all the you know all all, all the, the detail that you that you really don't need and focusing in on the things that are going to make going to make the difference. So you know which levers to pull. I yeah. think. I think that that's to me in really good stead, and it's a great intellectual challenge. I'm working at the moment, the project I'm working on now is um, looking at, in effect, board reporting. Mm -hmm. And say, yeah, try, trying to slim down the amount of data and get it into a, a format where you can look at it and, and the, the obvious sticks out. Because right now, the obvious is not sticking out. You know, yeah. it's just something you you look at something and, and you wonder but you can't really look at something and fully understand what's going right and what's going wrong right? you can tell overall so anyway that so that, that's what I'm doing just now and uh, and I love it 
I like the, the whole intellectual challenge. What's something you've learned about yourself as a non-exec that you didn't expect? Oh, I've learned that I'm not a control freak. Okay. And I think, you know, if, if you go, so almost all my career, I've done turnarounds. Yeah. And I don't know if you know the management decision, the, the, the management style the, uh, curve, the, the man, management style curve. So what it says essentially is that if, you, if you're on, on an even keel and things are going along well, then you should consult widely. It's not a democracy, obviously, because you're getting paid yeah. to, do, to do the job. Um, I ran an experiment on that, I might come back to. Anyway, um, as things, if things are really in, you know, you really are in a very, very difficult and dangerous position, you do not allow, you, you can consult, but you can't consult brightly because you, you haven't got the time to do it. Mm -hmm. And you need to use whatever experience and knowledge you've got to come up with the answer and then just implement the answer. So you become a lot more autocratic. And ironically, when you've got a very narrow window of opportunity at the other end, you can't afford a whole lot of time to go around consulting with everybody because that, that window of opportunity is going to slam shut. So yeah. you, again, you need to be far more autocratic stuff. And that, by that, I don't mean dictatorial. I just yeah. mean, you know, you're, you're more assertive in terms of your, in terms of leadership style. And having tended to have to operate at the, the side, but then carry everybody with you, right? Yeah. I did wonder, could I make that transition through to, would I be frustrated yeah. if, it wasn't getting done the way I would do it. Yeah. The answer is I don't get frustrated. Okay. I, <laughs> I think actually that probably comes back to working with a female calling in PA. Yeah. And I was about to go off on holiday and I was incensed about a particular situation about something that had been handled <laughs> you know, really, really badly with, with a client. I mean, the client wasn't the client's fault. This is the, 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 the team leader's fault. I said to my female colleague, um, if that happens, I just want him fired. Mm. If he does that against, you know, what, what we both said, I just want him fired. <laughs> I looked at him and I thought, there was no reaction. I said, yeah, are, you, are you going to do it? And she said, Ian, if you're still saying the same thing on the third bounce, I'll do it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I thought, you know, I sort of handled that situation. And did she handle it the way, the way I would? No. Was it effective? Yes. Was it more effective and less disruptive than the way I would have done it? Yes. So I think that, that led me to appreciate that there's more than one way of doing anything. Mm. I'm not always right. Other people have got better, better ideas. So you listen to them and, you know, and, and, and trust other people. Yeah. Unless, unless there are very good reasons, good signs to say, you know, you can't trust this person. Trust them. Mm. Trust them back them and then you'll you, you get a better result than if you're trying to solve every problem in the world. Yeah. So what, that, that, that sounds like someone, the, that type of personality, that type of approach to life seems well suited to being a non-exec or anyone in, in higher power, if you will. Um, but I think we can both recognize that sometimes not the best people get put into the position. So how can, how can boards kind of, stop that from happening so that you do have a board that wants to move forward, wants to do the best. What practices work well to make sure that a board is functioning at its best? I think, well, you need the right mix of skills on the board. Mm. And you also need different personality types. You know, if, you, if, you're, if you're clones, you're always going to come up with the same answer, aren't you? And, yeah. and I think that's a mistake. I think there's nothing, 
Well, in any leadership position, I think what was very, very hard to understand is, or it's hard to differentiate, it's a difficult to differentiate between amb uh, ambition and ability. Mm -hmm. And a lot of people that will push themselves forward prove the Peter principle. You know, you get promoted to your level of level of competence because they appear always, you know, they're bright-eyed, bushy-tailed, dynamic, you know, feeding things back the way you want them fed back. You know, and you look at this individual and you think, you get an impression of competence. Mm -hmm. right? And the truth is, a lot of them are not competent. Yeah. It, it's a facade. It is just a facade. <laughs> and then you take people who have got latent ambition, people with a lot of ability who just very, very quietly get on with their work and are very, very competent and quietly fixing things behind the scenes and never crowing about it, you know, never making a big issue about it. Yeah. But you just look at their area and think every single time, this, you know, you do a really, really good job of moving this whole thing forward and it's done without fuss and your team like you and your team respect you and you get a lot, a lot out of your team. Mm. But they're not overtly doing the, you know, me, 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 and look at me, look at how smart I am. And they're, they're the people that don't apply for the promoted position. Yeah. Like they, they don't. They think, you know, I've seen classic, and I saw an article recently about, um, you know, the female view of a job application and a, ma and a male about jo job description. One, yeah. Male <laughs> looks at 10 requirements and says, I can do one of these, I'm a, I'm a great fit. Yeah. <laughs> the female looks and says, oh, on the 10th of these, I think I'm a bit weak, so, so I don't fit, I won't get, I won't get a job. And I, I think there's, there's a certain element of truth in that. And the thing with these people, if you can trust them and almost just drop them into position, mm. drop them into it, and, and just, just say, I've, yeah, I've done that a number of times and I've only been let down once. Yeah. I've only been let down once and, and, the, and the others have all worked. So I think it's differentiating between ambition and ability and recognizing people with a lot of ability, but n not overtly ambitious and making them ambitious, making yeah. them see that they can succeed, making make them see they can do it. Um, and not as too many times happen you know they don't apply for the job and see who's got it and thought i'm better than they are right <laughs> <laughs> you can't complain because you didn't because you didn't apply yeah so i think did that answer your question yeah it did it did yeah it's good, so tell me you mentioned a, a um oh shoot the word's gone out experiment you did an experiment oh yeah 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 so i i left pa to go to eds Mm -hmm. And the partner I was speaking about, the one that um, you know called me out about, you know, should she fire this person or not? I recruited her. I took about four or five people. I got I got a warning letter from PA saying one more will sue you. I think about four or five, but you know, I, I took this this female colleague, and um, I'd done the analysis around the position of EDS Energy in the in the UK and the whole Cycon thing and so on, and it trended it all out. I mean, classic consultant presentation, you know, and we had the um, a management meeting so i think probably 12 15 people in the people in the room including this colleague that I recruited from pa and was now, now in eds anyway so I, I i went through this position and said look that's position we've got this is not good this is serious and one of the one of the senior, senior managers said um ian what do you think we should do and i said i don't know I said, you know, I, I don't know this business. I don't, you know, I don't know IT. <laughs> yeah. says, I don't really know IT. I said, no, I, don't, I don't know this company. I said, I, I don't know. And I said, but what I'm hoping is that together we can actually develop a plan. You know, I can bring what I know and you, you know, you bring what you know, and then we'll, you know, we'll do it. And the colleague of the group from PA said, Ian, that's not credible. 
Okay. There's always a plan. <laughs> you know, you're just playing charades with us. You know, we're, we're just going through this. It's just, it's just a game. So why don't we just cut through and why don't you tell us what the plan is? <laughs> so I felt, honestly, I felt I was up there naked. I just, you know, because she was right, of course, it was a plan. Yeah. But, to, you know, to be revealed like that, you know, just to be exposed like that was really, really embarrassing. But as my, my experiment said, it did work. Because mm-hmm. what, what they were saying was, we don't know what to do. You can just look at the paces. We don't know what to do. You don't want to listen to position. You don't want to get paid to do the job. You might not have the expertise to do it. So why don't you tell us? So yeah. where you really are, down in the, you know, we're in a serious situation, either seriously negative or positive. People expect you to lead. Mm. They expect you to lead. They don't expect you to go and put things out to survey or, or whatever. They expect you just to get on with it and, 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 and fix it and lead. It, was, so what, it wasn't embarrassing. Probably one of my most embarrassing moments in, um, in business. Yeah. So what do you think does mark a good leader? Someone that people want to follow? Yeah, that's assuming I know. I've got a view. <laughs> I've got a view. I think, well, you know, in PA, and I, I'm not going to get seven, there's seven fundamentals of management that we got taught in PA. So what's the role of a leader? It's to plan, organize, motivate, develop, communicate, represent, and the last one's control. Right. Yeah. Now, these are not in the right order, but, but, but you get it. And, and I think there's nothing more true than, than, than that. I mean, I, the, the fact that years and years later, I can still quote and you know, remember all seven, seven all quote right, them, yeah. I, I think is absolutely, absolutely key. I, th- I think you need a plan. People mm-hmm. need to believe that there is a plan that they can, that they can, that they can follow. Yeah. They, so the plan, there's got to be a plan and the plan's got to be, got to be credible. Just trying to improve every single day just isn't going to cut it. They need to know that there's a, a way through this wilderness or a way to maximize it, maximize this opportunity. I think empathy with different styles. Mm-hmm. I think, you know, I, I know there's a tendency to recruit, recruit clones and, you know, I've, I've never found that, never found that works, you know, and having a variety of, of, of cultures. Um, and I think quite interesting that, I, I was asked to speak at the Dallas Women in Business Group. Yeah. <laughs> and I said, why? <laughs> um, <laughs> my, my director report, who, who asked me to, to do it, said, um, Ian, look at your management team. You've got the most diverse team, and this is in, the, in Dallas, you've got the most diverse team in the, in, in NASBU. And yeah. I, hadn't, I hadn't even thought about it. Wow. It, never, it never occurred to me. I yeah. was putting the right people in the, in, in the right jobs. Um, and, and she said, and, and you don't have women in all the staff jobs. You've got women actually running the, the business, you know, running the business. Um, you know, not in its totality, of course. So if you look across the, across the board, it wasn't women stuck in staff roles. And, and I said, what you have to understand, Samantha, is this is not some crusade that I want. I said, mm-hmm. that's just putting, putting the right people in the, in the right role. So anyway, so I did go and speak to the group. <laughs> and, um, it was really, really interesting. I'm the only man in the room speaking to this, speaking to this, this lunch group. Yeah. And um, the, the question was, are women held back in business? Yeah. Uh, and I said, yes. And it's your own fault. <laughs> so, How did that go down? <laughs> oh, it was controversial. But I, I said, you allow it to happen. Yeah. I said, you, know, you, you allow it. You know, and you know, you don't push yourselves forward. You know, you 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 you're not sufficiently um, 
vast majority, on average, and average is obviously wrong, but on, on average, insufficiently assertive, and you've got really good ideas and you're not putting them forward, so it's yeah. your fault. Anyway, <laughs> after, after I, you know, I said, how did that go down? And thinking she was going to say like a lead balloon, yeah. and she said, it was great. Going in and insulting them was the best thing you could have done. Yeah. So, <laughs> I suppose yeah. it also speaks to um, your style as well, where, where, like you said, you just put the right people in the right place. There was no other agenda behind yeah. who you employed. It was that person can do the job, so that's the person that gets the job. Yeah, it's, I had an interesting ex experience when I was in the, in, in the UK of meeting with um, the people that run Global Diversity mm -hmm. and looking at a plan, and, and I said, yeah, well, we are sure on, on visible ethnic minorities. And she said, no, you're not. I said, you've got John Chan. And I didn't think of John Chan as Chinese. I just didn't. I just, it kind of didn't occur to me. And I just yeah. said, you got somebody else and somebody, somebody else is Nigerian. And I said, yeah, well, I didn't think about it. <laughs> about it. So, um, yeah, I think if, it's putting the right people in the right jobs. It's yeah. getting, and getting a team that works together. I think if you've got a dysfunctional team, you've had it. Mm -hmm. And I have had to take people out just because they were too dysfunctional. You know, they were creating, creating havoc. And Lena, as an individual, might have been perfectly good for their own part of the business, although I didn't particularly like the style that was used. used. Mm -hmm. But the fact they couldn't get on with the rest of their colleagues, and no matter how much you know, team building I tried to, <laughs> I tried to put, it, put in, you know, the drinks after work and all the rest of it, didn't work. So eventually, you know, he had to go. Do you have any advice for Scottish businesses that want to become more diverse or go, obviously diversity is quite a hot topic at the minute or has been yeah. for a long time. What advice would you give to businesses that really want to take that on board? I think, well, first thing, I, th I think you need, a, you need the, plan for the plan for the business and it needs to be an ambitious plan. I think Scottish businesses, I'm not sure they're sufficiently um, aggressive in business, aggressive is the wrong word, um, ambitious. Yeah, I think the first you, you, you need you need more ambition. When you've got when you take a more strategic look at your business and you look at the opportunity and you look at how you're going to get there, you understand you're going to need skills different mm -hmm. to what you've ever had before. So yeah. that means looking looking outside and bringing in more diverse viewpoints and more and more diverse skills. Mm -hmm. If you're just thinking about a straight line, then you'll always you'll always have what what, what you've got now. And, yeah. and to change, you need to be thinking a lot more strategically about what, what you're about what you're missing, about kind of skills, and then look and see where the skills lie. Mm -hmm. And if you advertise and you're not getting any candidates other than you know what you've got already, you know, that the, the looks as if it would just fit in perfectly, mm. then there's something wrong. Yeah. There's something wrong. So what, what's wrong about the way that you're advertising that position or the way you're explaining the opportunity that you're not getting more diverse candidates. Mm. I think but the other thing is we've got to be realistic and we've got to appreciate that here in London, I'm in, I'm in London right now, it's incredibly easy because you've got such a diverse yeah. population. If you're, if you're sitting in Kirkwall and you're trying to recruit, you know, from an ethnic minority background, then that's going to be a lot tougher because there's going to be a lot of competition for, you know, the, the far, far smaller number of, number of candidates. Yeah. So I think have, artificial targets just doesn't work. I think to look and say, are we attracting the best talent across my population group? You know, whatever, whatever our, the demographics are of, of our population, are we, are we getting the best? 
Yeah. And if they all look like me, maybe, <laughs> maybe <laughs> not trying, maybe not trying hard enough. Maybe not thinking, thinking, thinking this, this thing through. So I think there's two things. Um, one is to, to, to question what it is you, you've got and why certain people, uh, why certain people are, are, are applying mm -hmm. and then think, is it just the way I've written a job description or is it the culture? We, we had a major exercise in EDS looking at why females didn't apply for more. And this is across the entire organization. And it, it's, problem, it's not an EDS problem. It was a problem in IT. It's getting better now. But why do we get so few female candidates into the, the high tech, you know, the, the, the programmer, analyst programmer type, type roles? Why, why do we do it? And why were we, why was EDS worse than IBM? Mm. And then we came to the conclusion that the corporate culture, because, you know, Ross Perot and the whole match of thing about sending mercenaries into Iran, I don't know if you know that story, to rescue EDS employees that were, kept, that were <laughs> seized, you know, during the, the, the revolution when the Shah got deposed and EDS employees were there and they got stuck in prison. And Ross Perot assembled a team of mercenaries and sent them out there, including EDS employees. Yeah. Sent them out there and they literally blew down the wall of the prison and the rest of the EDS people went them. Oh, it's a book on Wings of Eagles. Yeah, by Ken Follett. It's 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 worth a read. Just a novel. I'd read a book before I joined. Before I joined, joined I years. will be buying that so, book. <laughs> yeah. So we came to the conclusion that our culture was was too macho. The impression yeah. we got, and we had the same discussion when we were bidding against others for that huge contract in, in Chevron. Chevron's a, a West Coast, California. You know, very very laid back, very 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 diverse, and we were Dallas based. You know. Cowboys, <laughs> <laughs> all military, command and control style. So how was that going to work as a cultural fit? I mean, a guy in corporate comms, Randy Nozovich, and I still stay in, stay in touch with Randy, Randy put together the most, the cleverest PR campaign that I've seen. And he yeah. started sending out, everybody on the decision panel got, uh, got a giveaway. Like it's a small desk toy thing or de yeah. desk ornament type thing. And they got one a week. Every Friday it landed on the desks. <laughs> and it was designed to convey a whole different, you know, different impression. Yeah. And then we also publicized, you know, the amount of work that was done in Global Volunteer Day, for example, and that kind of good works made sure that that, that message got through. Mm. So I think, again, you've got a question, is your culture toxic to bring in, bring in the best candidates? Or do people think it's toxic? Yeah. Is it misapprehension and is it better? But you need to, you need to communicate that, I think. We hope you've enjoyed today's episode. The Institute of Directors is in the heart of all major cities and continues to represent your point of view as a business leader, both locally and nationally. Our objective is to ensure that your views are taken into account when the government is reviewing policy, legislation, or seeking the opinions of the wider business community. If you're interested in joining the IOD, please visit www.iod.com. Also take the opportunity to listen to our other IOD podcast, Policy Voice. To join the conversation and share your thoughts in today's episode, engage with us on Twitter or join the IOD LinkedIn Scotland group. We hope the rest of your week goes well and look forward to sharing another episode with you next week. Bye.